Welcome in listeners to a very special edition of the podcast. I'm not even going to name it the podcast because we didn't really talk about that, but you'll understand what I'm talking about here in a second. I'm Ben Belden. If you are a regular subscriber to the Under the Dome podcast or you follow me on Twitter at RealBBelden, you know exactly who I am, you know exactly what I stand for. We're going to talk some Notre Dame football here in just a hot second, but I'm really excited to work on this and you know I know that uh, you know I mentioned this in the previous podcast which hopefully some of you have started to listen to by the time you've heard this one that we're going to be doing a, a crossover show under the dome podcast always Irish podcast I don't know why I almost messed that up I'm just so excited that I'm like already shaking it's, it's kind of kind of awesome but I'm also sort of kind of shaking because you know it's hump day of Georgia football against Notre Dame our great Notre Dame fighting Irish football week and so I don't know. I didn't really uh, prepare for this. I don't really know what to do with my hands, so to speak. But you know, one thing that John, host of the Under the Dome, host of the Always Irish podcast, and I have wanted to do is kind of a crossover show like we're doing right now. You're going to be able to find it all over our platforms and that type of thing. We're going to dive into some stuff, and we're going to kind of take a deep dive of Notre Dame football, where it's at, the chances for, or whatever <laughs> that we're Notre Dame has going into Athens, Georgia this week. So with all that out of the way, I will let John speak now and kind of give his bit on this, but I'm just really excited. So, you know, John, take it away. I uh, This is something that Ben and I wanted to do for both sets of our listeners. We wanted to do a crossover. Uh, this is the game that we've all had circled since the second it was on the schedule before they even came to South Bend two years ago. And now that it's finally here, this is the week to do it. And it's, it may be the last week I'm in any sort of decent mood for the foreseeable future. So this is the week that we wanted to do a joint show. Ben's going to be able to post it for all his people. I'm going to be able to post it for all my people. And, and what I'm hoping to find here is Ben and I go back a ways from Twitter and everything. And here's the deal. We both love Notre Dame football. We both have the same goals and and finish line in mind for Notre Dame. However, there are certain times where we don't always agree on the exact path to get there or what's most important or what needs to happen or not to get there. That's some of why we wanted to do this show. I think it would be great for both sets of listeners to be able to hear. Hopefully, we'll find some things in here we contrast on with the same goal in mind. And I think that's a healthy discussion. It's a good discussion and it's an entertaining discussion. And so we, we came up with this idea. We're just going to, we're going to wing it. We're going to go over some of these topics and hopefully we find some areas we overlap and some differences and just different ways to approach this and to think about it. And I think that would be extremely entertaining. So here we are, we're ready to do it. Yeah, and to just sort of add on, like we we obviously prepared for this podcast and have a decent idea about things, but we really did not rehearse note-wise. I mean, we've got a start to this podcast, which I'm about to dive into, but did not necessarily go a whole lot. We just kind of said, how do you want to start this? All right, and then we're going to go from there. So hopefully this is raw and entertaining and everything in between. So with all that said, let's actually dive into it. And 
this is a topic that you know hopefully maybe a couple of our listeners have listened to you know the my new mexico wrap up although with technical difficulties and things this week that now i have ironed out finally um, you know, these podcasts are basically going to come come out back to back on my channel. So maybe they didn't. But one way that I started the last podcast with Nathan Erbach, who is, you know, great podcaster, great writer for us at Slap the Sign, was that I just wanted to get an idea of, and now I'm asking obviously you, John, but how big, just how big is this particular game in terms of the landscape of Notre Dame football, especially as how, you know, it pertains to the tenure of Brian Kelly? I let's let's start with Brian Kelly first. I mean, we all know the ups and the downs of the Brian Kelly tenure. Uh, it, it's my opinion now that Brian Kelly's at Notre Dame until he chooses he does not want to be at Notre Dame. Uh, I don't think anything short of some mega scandal would change that at this point. Um, you know, the restructuring after 2016, these last two years of being highly competitive for the most part. Brian Kelly's there until he doesn't want to be there, uh, barring some major, you know, off the grid, uh, bad situation. So that's my opinion on that. Uh, I, I just that's where I'm at on it. I don't see it changing. So that's my thought with with Kelly. Um, in terms of the importance of this game, something I talk about on my show all the time, and and I'm going to coin this, and uh, I got to get this copyrighted. I always talk about committee capital. And by that, I'm referring to the playoff committee and how much leeway certain programs or teams have in the eyes of the committee. And my big fear is that Notre Dame's running out of bullets to be in good favor with this committee. They all want to look smart. They all want to look right. They all want to look like they're putting the best teams in these playoff games and everything else. And I, I just think Notre Dame's running thin to the point where if you do another Clemson situation, you're, you might get written off. And if there's a decision to be made between a one-loss Notre Dame and somebody else with that 13th game, Notre Dame's not going to get that benefit if they keep burning all their committee capital by not being competitive against the top-end teams. So from that perspective... It's imperative to me that uh, if Notre Dame doesn't win this game, that they at least compete and that it's a reasonable uh, football game and they don't just get ran over. I don't think we can afford any more of those. That's my opinion. What do you think? Well, I don't know. I, I think you're I think you're on to something when I mean. This year, at the very least, I don't think Notre Dame can lose this game and make it to the college football playoff. I just don't think it's possible, and I think that's going to be true for most of, you know, Notre Dame for, for most seasons. I feel like Notre Dame has to run the table in the regular season to to get to the college football playoff, unless they were to expand to eight teams. I really don't want to get into that discussion about an eight team playoff right now because it's. I, I think honestly, it would be bad for Notre Dame anyway because then you'd have to win three games to win a national title, and I don't think that's happening. But regardless, um, so I, I, I don't know. I I'd sort of worry about it from that perspective, but at the same time, I just think even if they lose close, I think it's going to be real tough for them. Um, so to a certain degree, I agree, and to a certain degree, I don't. But to me, you know, what I talked about on my show that, like I say, has been just released very, very recently was that I think that 
over the course of Brian Kelly's tenure at Notre Dame, the one positive that you can say is that the floor, meaning like the the rock bottom almost, I guess you could say, maybe not the rock bottom, but the the bottom of reasonable expectations, that has been raised under Brian Kelly. I mean, before reasonable expectations were seven or eight wins. Now, you know, at any season in the foreseeable future, I can't see myself saying that if Notre Dame wins nine games, that I'm going to be particularly happy. Will I be like really stewing angry mad? Probably not, but like, 10 games, 9 or 10 games is kind of the floor for Notre Dame now. But the problem is the ceiling doesn't seem to be a lot higher than that uh, either. And so it's just like, are we just going to be a 10-win team forever? And if so, like, is that good or is that bad? And I don't know the answer to that question. But I will say this, that, like, Notre Dame has built to, like, this peak, in my opinion, so many different times under Brian Kelly that it's like, at some point, you got to punch through the ceiling. At some stinking point, and I don't know when that is. They could lose this game, go on to a New Year's Six bowl game against an Ohio State or against a Michigan or against a you know another sort of top tier program and win that, and I would feel probably pretty good. But like, I just like the away game, the under the lights, the things that Notre Dame hasn't done under Brian Kelly. I feel like this is just like the most important game because you just got to punch through that ceiling at some point and just win a game that you're not supposed to in prime time, especially in away game. So, I don't know. To me, it, it's it's hugely important. Um, however, if they lose, I don't think that they're going to stumble down as far as like when they lost in the national championship and then the next year they're winning eight games, if that kind of makes oh, sense. I, I could see that, but for the short term, I worry that something bad happens against Georgia. You're all beat up. Everybody's down. Then you got this Virginia team coming into town that could snowball on you. Real quick, and that's another concern I have if things don't go well this week. And I don't want to get the off onto the schedule and down the road, but it's something I've thought of. That's a tough turnaround there, and and that's a snowball effect we cannot afford at all costs. And and I totally agree with you uh, on the one loss Notre Dame is probably out of the playoff most years. I totally agree with that. I've said that often. Uh, you know, the 13th data point, you can argue whether that's fair or not with other teams playing FCS, whatever. Um, I, I just don't like the idea of giving the powers that be another data point to show Notre Dame can't compete with the elites. Uh, I, I just I don't I don't want to do that. Um, and so I, I totally a- agree with you there. But as for Brian Kelly, uh, you, like you said, you you have to break through that glass ceiling at some point. And we have, you and I had this exact discussion an hour before we played Clemson when I joined your show. And it's just, it just hasn't happened. Um, and I look at the 18 five stars that are on Georgia's roster compared to how many are on Notre Dame's and we could start there. I, I mean, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I think we're on the same page on this one. I mean, this might not be the the most entertaining listening because we're we're agreeing, but I think the disagreements are about to start coming in. I suppose, but I, yeah, I just I don't know. Like, I'm not gonna go as far to say something crazy like that if that if they lose this game, Brian Kelly should be fired. But like at the same time, it's just kind of like, oh my gosh, like what do we have to do to get out of this rut? Is just kind of no. Well, that that's the trap, Ben, because it's like you're now at this point where. That discussion I'm done having, even I'm done having it. After 2016 and me losing all my hair, I'm done having that discussion. Brian Kelly's there until he wants to leave. Like, that's just, 
that's it, it is what it is. He's not going anywhere uh, until he wants to. But but it's like you said, it, you can only beat yourself against that glass ceiling so many times. It being that tier B, you know, one B or whatever tier you want to put us, you got to break through at some point. It, it's just uh, the matchups here are tough sledding. I absolutely agree. And so, you know, if we want to move on from this and go and go your route, we can do that at this point. All right. So here's where I want to start. Just because I want to get us on a footing here, I, I just want to know your general overall thoughts of what you've seen from two weeks. This doesn't have to be a paragraph, but just your overall just feelings from seeing the first two games. Um, I thought it was two different games altogether. Um, and so to try to keep this sort of short, like I thought that against Louisville, you know, you had the, the fast start on offense, the slow start on defense, uh, running the ball really well against Louisville for the most part. Um, although they faltered in certain areas. Um, and then kind of, you know, I thought that New Mexico was trying to fill in the rest of the blanks of like the things that, you know, you look at the Louisville game and you could, it looked to me like, the Irish were and the coaching staff were trying to like, you know, this didn't work real well against Louisville. Here's where we need to improve. And, you know, this did work. So we can kind of put that on the back burner. And I don't think we've seen a complete Notre Dame game yet because I just think that it was very intentional to a certain degree. I mean, I, it wasn't intentional that you're down 14 to seven against Louisville in the, at the end of the first quarter towards the end of the first quarter. But I, I do also think that, you know, it was intentional that it's like, all right, we're going to come out. We're going to run this buck sweep with Jafar and Tony Jones, Jafar before he got hurt and that type of thing. And then, you know, I did think it was very intentional that they were going to come out against New Mexico and try to limit pretty much the carries by all the running backs uh, to a certain degree. Um, I know that like, you know, Sebo Flemister ended up getting like seven or eight carries or something like that for like negative two yards at the end, just in garbage time. But, you know, I thought that it was very intentional in that regard. And they were trying to put together, like if you took, took the good things from both of those two games and you put them into one, like I thought that like, you've seen a lot of good, well-rounded stuff. It's just, that's just not how it works. So um, I don't know. Those are, that's just my general feeling on the situation. I my thought is, just generally speaking, there's there's plenty to like and there's plenty to worry about. I mean, that's that's how I see it. Like, I mean, I understand wanting to work on certain things and this and that. I, I understand that. There's certain things that going 6 of 22 through two weeks on third downs is not intentional. Seven failed third and short conversions is not intentional. And you're playing bad teams like things like that i don't have patience for that they're just a part of the plan like move the pile like some of this stuff i look at i like i say in my show the first two weeks the framework with which i was looking at those ball games is do we look like a team that can play with georgia not even beat them but play with them and because the wins should be built in with those two teams so i'm looking for those matchup specific things and in those areas, I'm extremely concerned. I just am. Like, there's no, oh, we're holding back from Georgia. You don't hold back not getting any push on third and one. You don't hold that back. That's just being physical. I don't have patience for that. And it scares the hell out of me this week. Is that fair or am I being unfair? Well, certainly, what, what did you say? It was 6 of 22 on third six downs? 6 of 22. 
Yeah, that's not good. Um, <laughs> I uh, that, that's you're bad. not going to disagree the, just to disagree. There's, Come on, there's no disagreement there. Come what on. I'll what I'll say is this, and like I don't know. Like I, I wish I could sit in coaching meetings sometimes because like you and I obviously can really only speculate what the sandy heck they're talking about in those coaching meetings. But like I don't know. Like there was a play. I, I want to say it was early third quarter against Louisville, where you know I remember. I mean, the reason I remember these things is because I just tweet about them. So like, I don't know. The the plays that I call upon on podcasts are the ones that I end up tweeting about. So you may have seen me say this. I don't know. But like, I'm just looking at the TV screen and like they're in the shotgun. It's third and one. I'm like they're running the ball and I mean. Literally, the longer Ian Book takes to snap the ball, the more Louisville defenders are like just walking towards the line of scrimmage. I'm like, and like to me, it was like they're going to run the ball into this brick wall, and like they're not getting it. I'm like, there's no way. So like, I don't know. Like some people sort of ask me like why I'm not more neurotic during Notre Dame football games it's because like I don't know. Like I'm just I was sitting there and I'm 20 seconds before he snapped the ball. I was like, they're not getting this because they're not audibleing to a. I mean, they've got nine guys in the box, and Ian Book is not audibling and just throwing the ball out to your six-four receiver on a four-yard slant and picking up the first down. And so, like, they just run it into a brick wall every single time. And Louisville, and to a certain extent, New Mexico could do that because Ian Book wasn't throwing the ball worth a diddly crap at the, at the beginning of the year. So it's like you might as well sell out on the run and then just like hope that Ian Book dinks and dunks, and you know you can break up the pass, and if he completes it then you know you live another day because there's no over the top type of threat either so i don't know i just think that like i i don't are they waiting to mix it up for georgia because like to me it just was like this needs to be changed to a pass play they're not changing it to a pass play are they just intentionally just trying to like make themselves look bad like that's that's an asinine way to say it. that's not what they're trying to do but like i think you sort of get what i'm saying that like are they holding something back as far as like uh you know uh an end around on third and one, but then they did the end around stuff. It, but I don't know. I'm talking to myself in a circle. But to me, it's just it's just been very predictable in short yard situations that it's like if there's a threat of the pass on the on third and one, you know, then I think you can get it. But it's just like there's no threat of that right now. They haven't done it. I can't think of a time this year where they've thrown a pass on third and one. I know that's going to make some people that listen to this like the the run the damn ball people are probably rolling their eyes at me right now, but like it's a numbers game. Throw it out one-on-one to Chase Claypool and I think he's going to win a, a large percentage of the time. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I get that. It's just really frustrating and it, it's from the whatever. If it's the formation, if they're just stubborn that that's what they want to work on, whatever it is, excuse me for thinking you should be able to push around New Mexico up front even if they got an extra guy in there or two. I don't it's frustrating. You mentioned Ian Book. Let me ask you this. You know, of all those the big picture worries I had in the summer looking towards this game, Ian Book was one thing I thought I could really count on and trust and see some development for. And so I put more of my worries on the defensive end. Do you think you're, you've seen what you hope to see out of Ian Book so far? Because I expected to see more. Like just in terms of patience, uh, progressions, just everything. I, I don't see a lot of rhythm here, and it's one worry I didn't think I was really going to have to have that I kind of do. What do you think of him so far? Is he where you thought wanted him to be through two games? Um, 
not on a consistent basis, I suppose, and I can kind of elaborate on that. I mean, Nathan and I talked about this at length that, you know, I think Nathan and I both sort of agreed that Ian Book was, like, when he walked into uh, Louisville on, you know, September 2nd or whatever day it was, like, it really, it seemed to me at least, like, he was still shell-shocked from Clemson. And that's uh, concerning to say, like, that's, I'm not saying that's right. But, like, to me, like, I tweeted, and, like, this is, like, the one time that, like, I've ever been called a, a hater. I know that you're – you are kind of familiar to the being that – to getting that hater tag. What? Like, me? No. <laughs> never. But, like – Why don't you find another team? <laughs> well, I, I got that from a couple people, like – Good. Join the dark side, Ben. <laughs> Join the dark side. Come over. Well, well, listen to this. All I tweeted was, is Ian Book seeing ghosts? It's like he was seeing pass rushers that weren't there. It's like, what are you running for? Like, literally, I don't know. I mean, Liam Eikenberg and Robert Hainsey, I mean, they're not the most unbelievable tackles in the world, but they're formidable college tackles. Like, with potential. And it's like... He got to, like, read one, it wasn't open, and then, like, he just started running. I'm like, you are not Everett Golson. Like, that's what like, – you are not Malik Zaire. Like, that's not your game. You're not Brandon Wimbush. And so, to me, that's what I saw out of him was that, you know, he was taking it down and running. And maybe the worst thing that could have happened to him was running for 37 yards on the first play of the season. And then he starts thinking that he's a runner all of a sudden. It's like, no, 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 wait a second. Like, I don't know, trust your teammates and then – you know, throughout the New Mexico game, then it wasn't even great throws. And I know you kind of touched on this a little bit. It wasn't great throws, but I still think that like shovel passes for touchdowns, crossing routes for touchdowns really just started to make him kind of think like, oh, all right. Like if all I do is like just start distributing the ball, like we can be pretty good. Like I kind of got my mojo back. And like I say, I think, you know, I said this as well that, you know, the Last two passes that he get made against New Mexico, you know, guy right in his face, puts it right over the top to Tommy Tremble. Beautiful pass for 20-some yards. And then I think either the very next play or maybe there was a run play in between. But then the next play was the back shoulder fade to Javon McKinley that was just a perfectly placed, you know, he you could tell he wasn't thinking about it at all. It's just I'm, I'm getting it, I'm throwing it, touchdown. And so, like, that was beautiful. And I hope what, that, what it, you know, doing those things meant was that he is – at his full powers as he moves into as he moves into Georgia. Now we just haven't seen him at his full powers a whole awful lot yet. That's the part that's concerning. Um, but I would like to think that because he, like I say, he looked like he was starting to put it together a big time at the end of that New Mexico game, um, and even right before halftime, he was throwing the ball really well. So um, I, I don't know. I think that what I hope is happening is that like he was trending upwards in a way that he will peak against Georgia. But we're just gonna have to wait till Saturday to see if he does. I I understand that. You know, there's a flip side to that argument too, which is if I've seen you now, I do admit he made some throws into those smaller windows and stuff against New Mexico. I did see some improvement in that area. He looked more comfortable. I agree with all of that. The 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 overarching struggle I have intellectually is. It's hard for me to, this goes for the offense and the defense, both. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around the idea that you struggled against these two bad teams, but magically you're going to all put it together against the best team on your schedule by far on the road. 
that's intellectually hard for me to realistically see that happening. It just is. Well, I mean, I think the one thing I would say to that, though, is that in the big context of things, like if you take Ian Book and you you put his whole resume out there, I mean, he's basically got a full a full season now because he didn't start the first three games last year. He's got, you know, the college football playoff and then two games. So he's basically got like a full regular season, I suppose, in terms of games played, one fewer game, whatever. Um, if you take that into consideration, I mean, he's struggled against – Obviously, he struggled mightily against uh, against Clemson. Um, was he, you know, great against you know either of the two opponents we played this year? No, not really. But I mean, he was a darn good quarterback against you know Stanford, who was decent at the time, which was like his second start. Um, also, you know, I didn't realize that Ian Books only started like four games now in Notre Dame Stadium. That's wild to me, but that's kind of an aside. But, I mean, I think if you take his whole resume and you compare it to, like, the resumes of other good college quarterbacks, like, the peaks and valleys are very similar. And that's, uh, to me, like, that's kind of just what you get in a college quarterback. I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe Trevor Lawrence is infallible at this point. But, I mean, not completely. But I'm just, I, I, I don't know. I just think that, you know, the evidence maybe hasn't been there this season, and that's a legitimate concern. Um, but I will say that it's not like Ian Book all of a sudden forgot how to play quarterback from, you know, starting with Wake Forest last year and then Stanford and then some of the other big games that they played on down the stretch. I mean, so, I, I mean, the it's not like his talent went away. I think his confidence was a little bit shaken, and I think that was really the only thing he needed to gain back. And uh, when I see him, you know, hitting Chase Claypool on the on – the, uh, on the post pattern there at the end of the second quarter, you know, getting them in a field goal range with 26 seconds, um, you know, before the half in that type of thing against New Mexico. That to me says, okay, he's getting back to where he was when he was carving up defenses, you know, the middle toward in the end of last year. And that's just, I mean, that's just what optimist in me sees, I suppose. I, I get it. And, you know, the other thing I, I've been thinking about, and, and this probably isn't, fair to Ian but it's the reality and and that is that Notre Dame needs their quarterback Ian to play at a higher level than some of these other teams do to be successful because of the supporting cast I mean Lawrence can hand the ball to Travis Etienne and and Fromm can hand the ball to Swift like I just think that we need we're more reliant on Ian Book to be really good for this offense to click more so than some of these teams that have more explosive athletes all over that could take some of that burden off the quarterback. And I don't know if that's fair or not, but I think that's the reality we're living in with Ian Book. We just need him to be great to win this game. I, I sort of agree, and I think to what you're saying, I think Ian Book feels that. And then, like, to me, that's why he hasn't been playing great. Because he sort of felt like, oh my gosh, like, you know, it's it's me against the Clemson defense, all right? And I think, to me, like, I, I don't know that that's completely true. I, I think it's true to an extent. We don't have the same receivers as a Clemson. I, I would argue we have the same receivers as a Georgia. Um, we don't have the same running back as Georgia. We don't have the same running back as Clemson. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know that the gap is so huge, um, between comparing like one of those top tier teams as offense of talent um, and Ian Book and the talent that's around him. Now we have unproven talent. That's abs- that's not 
debatable. I mean, Claypool has been a two or a three guy most of the time. He's an athletic freak, and I like I've liked what he I've seen from him this year. But I mean, still he hasn't. It's not like he's been the go-to receiver the way Miles Boykin was a go-to receiver in big games for Notre Dame. So I I don't know. I think I I, I think that there are going to be plays out there for Ian Book to make, and I think you know if he's confident, he's going to make them. And it, but if he's you know on his back most of the time, or he gets knocked down early in the game, or or something like that, it could. It, I mean, it could snowball in the way that we've seen it snowball against you know Miami against. So Clemson so let me that. let me ask you this then: What do you think? In, and we're going to get to the defense in a little bit. What do you think the successful offensive recipe should be this week for Notre Dame to move the ball? Well, they've got to be balanced. I think that's the that's the big thing. They can't go in there and abandon the run um, and not, and you know, if you abandon the run, that implies, you know, not running it effectively. Um, and they can't get into this, you know, thing with Georgia speed where they're just dropping back and throwing it every time and expecting you book to throw for 500 yards. It's just not going to happen. Um, I don't know. I know you're concerned about the run game, right? Is that extremely? And, you know, I, I share similar concerns, but what I'll say is this. I mean, I think, you know, a stat that I feel like no one talks about is that Tony Jones ran for seven yards a carry against Louisville. And that's even considering that, like, I think they ran Tony Jones into a brick wall on third and one a couple of times where they should have audibled to a, a slant to try to, like, loosen up the defense a little bit. So, I mean... You know, and I think what Notre Dame did is looked at that and it's like, okay, like Louisville's a pretty, I mean, they're a formidable lesser opponent, I suppose. In terms of a team that's obviously lesser, like I think you, like Louisville was a, a good opponent for Notre Dame to play week one because they were, yeah, they got, you know what? They have a lot, they have way more athletes than, than I realized. They, yeah. they have some real, they got some players that could play for any, any good team. Yeah, and they weren't so bad that it was like like it was that like Mexico New Mexico was almost so bad that it like you couldn't tell a whole lot, right? Louisville wasn't so bad that I thought that like it was more competitive than a Notre Dame practice would have been. I think if that kind of makes sense, New Mexico like you might as well have not played that game to be honest with you, and just like like had a blue and gold game out there, and you probably would have gotten better competition to a certain degree. Um, So. I don't know. So I think Notre Dame looked at that and they're like, okay, you know, we were able to run the ball whenever, you know, there was the threat of the pass early and, you know, they ran, I mean, the reason that Avery Davis and Chris Fink were able to score on those jet sweep type of plays is because it was the counter to the play that Notre Dame carved up Louisville. So Notre Dame carved up Louisville with, you know, pulling a couple guards, Tommy Kramer getting out there and, you know, that's how Tony Jones ended up with 7.3 yards per carry. Well, when you run that against New Mexico, when New Mexico, you know, had two weeks to, you know, watch Notre Dame tape before, you know, and New Mexico shooting a linebacker every time Notre Dame pulls those guards, well, you're not going to be able to run the same thing. Well, that's exactly why Avery Davis scored because Notre Dame faked that play, threw it to Avery Davis, tossed it to Avery Davis, handed it off to Avery Davis, whatever you want to call it, and he was... 10 yards down the field before most of, I mean, the camera didn't even know who had the ball. Um, and I don't, I, we can talk about the camera at some other time, but you get the point. So I don't know. I think that Notre Dame put together at the very least, they've made Georgia think like, all right, if Avery Davis goes in motion right there, there's a good chance he's getting the ball. But what if they fake that and they run that 
other play that they were so effective running against Louisville. And I think that they've started to put, like I say, a well-roundedness together that at the very least, Georgia's got some things to think about. They can't just key on one thing. Um, and, I, and I imagine there's more to it than that. I imagine that's what you know Brian Kelly meant when he literally said, you know, we didn't want to show a lot against Georgia. Now, I think that was a little bit of gamesmanship, but still, regardless, I think there are wrinkles there, counters to some of the plays that they've run, and, you know, I hope they work. Let's put it that way. I. It sounds like you're a little more optimistic about our chances of running the ball between the tackles against Georgia than I am. I think I get – I've been known to overreact from time to time, and, and I think seeing some of the short yardage failures to push – it just it, I can't get it out of my mind. It just scares the hell out of me that you're going to go first and second down, running into a brick wall, and then third and long, and then anything can happen. And that's just you're not. It's that's not going to be competitive this week. And that's my big fear is that lack of push and physicality, and then you're just stuffed up, and then you're in third and longs all night, and and that and then they get after you. That those are my worst fears. Yeah, I think, you know, Georgia's going to probably just try to play a base defense and stop the run against Notre Dame, meaning they're just going to have two safeties back at the beginning and sort of see how it goes. And if they're able to stop the run with able to keep two safeties back, it's going to be a long night for Notre Dame. You've got to force Georgia to bring that other safety into the box. And then when they do, you got to be able to throw it and complete it afterwards. I mean, it's, I mean, it, it should be a simple football game. Um I don't think this is going to be like the flashy type of football game. It's just going to be, is Notre Dame going to be able to get a push against, you know, our five offensive linemen and maybe a tight end for Notre Dame going to be able to block, you know, five defensive linemen outside linebackers for Georgia and get at least three, four yards of carry. Um, that's, that's basically going to be what it is. So I don't expect Notre Dame to start gashing Georgia, but you got to be able to average, you know, three, four yards of carry just to, just to keep them honest so that you're in a third and, four or five as opposed to third and 12. So I don't know. I, I mean, I, I agree with it. I just, I, I don't necessarily share the same optimism. We'll be able to stick to that. I I'm just, I'll believe it when I see it, I've seen it not work against the higher level teams too many times. Um, and, and it just freaks me out. So, but I, I agree with you. That's the plan. I'm just worried it's not going to work. You know, like yeah. that. That that's that's it. Um, let's talk defense for a little bit. What what are your overall thoughts so far through two games? Um, I think that Drew White is probably our best middle linebacker, which scares me because you know he's a freshman, um, and I don't know what that says about some of the linebackers that have remained versus what it says about Drew White. Um, I don't know. I think that um, in, in context, I think the defense has been maybe a little better than people give them credit for. And like I say, like, you know, the criticism about me is, as an analyst is that I'm just two rose-colored glasses. But I watch, you know, I you know, outside, take away the first two drives of Louisville's offensive season. Um, and you, I understand you can't do that in the whole picture of a game. But if you take those away, Notre Dame adjusted really well in that, in that game. And those adjustments are encouraging to me uh, because it says something about the coaching staff. And it also says a lot about the players as well. And I think that for the most part, they, um, they got a decent push defensive line wise, especially against new Mexico. Um, 
there was a play that play before uh, halftime where New Mexico scored their first touchdown. Like it, it's criminal the holding that was going on on Drew White that allowed that play to happen. By the way, uh, so if you uh, if you need some time for for optim, I mean they allowed quite a few plays before that. They were big chunk type plays, but if you want to try to find a way to make yourself feel better about the New Mexico game, go back and watch that play and watch Drew White just get just held like you don't even understand. So I mean I, I don't know. Like I think that. I think that Notre Dame isn't going to have like a great defense by any means, but can they have one that's good enough to, you know, maybe let Georgia move the ball between the ta- or between the twenties a little bit? But I don't know when you don't have to cover a whole field in the red zone, keep them out of the end zone. I, I think that's possible. And if you force Georgia into enough field goals, you know, uh, you know, if you force Georgia to kick five field goals, that's fifteen points. Can you muster? you know, in the high 20s because they're going to score a touchdown or two. So, I mean, can you muster in the high 20s? I, I, I would hope you could with the offense. And, you know, I think Notre Dame needs to score in the high 20s to win. And that's just how I feel about the defense is that they're going to be good enough. I'm really far more concerned about the offense getting to a, a certain number than I am Notre Dame's defense, to be honest with you. I think my my biggest fear defensively is – I. I think Georgia, they have the best offensive line in the country. I think everybody, all the national people I've listened to kind of concur on that. Yep. And we, we know what they have in the backfield. I think they got three to four NFL running, future NFL running backs back there. And, and so tell me if this is fair of me or not. I understand, um, you know, New Mexico, there's garbage time. I understand all that. But when I see 249 yards given up on the ground against Louisville – in 212 against New Mexico, you tell me how is it reasonable for me to think that now you're playing this team and they're not just going to line up and run the ball right down your throat all night? I Why mean, would I think that's just magically going to not happen when I saw it against these two high school teams? Well, uh, Why? I, well I'm not going to disagree with that necessarily. What I am going to disagree with is if Georgia runs the ball for, say, 250 yards against Notre Dame, the question that I'm going to follow up with is, well, how many points did they score off of that? Because I think that Georgia, I mean, if you're running the ball for 250, 260, 300 yards, okay, now 300 is probably too high of a number, but I'm hyperbolizing a little bit. But if you're running the ball that well and that effectively, that means that you're running it a whole awful lot, or at least I hope. Uh, hopefully what that means is that you're picking it up. It's two yards here and then six yards there and then eight yards. And hopefully that doesn't come in succession. You know, hopefully there's a drive where you just get them a couple of times and, you know, they aren't able to do that. But maybe the next drive they get catch you. Uh, you know, sometimes a team just catches you in the wrong defensive play call and it just happens. Um, but if you're running the ball, you know, for 250 yards, what you're doing, I mean, that's hopefully 40 or 50 run plays. And so if you're running 40 or 50 run plays, you know, that's going to slow the game down a little bit, um, I, I hope. Now, I mean, if you're running, if you're hitting 20, 30-yard run plays, then that's a different story. But if you're hitting four or five-yard run plays, the game slows a little bit. Um, you know, and, you know, Georgia could run for a whole awful lot of yards but still not put up that many points. Now, that might make your offense have to be more efficient because there's just going to be fewer drives. Um and so I, I don't know. I, I'm not necessarily worried about Georgia having an effective run game because I think there will be enough times, there will be enough opportunities for Notre Dame on a third and two to sell out and make a play 
load the box and make Jake Fromm try to throw a quick one. And, you know, I have a decent amount of faith in, you know, Notre Dame's three safety set and, you know, Troy Pride and Tariq Bracey's been, you know, you haven't heard his name called because he hasn't been bad. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think there's going to be opportunities to get off the field on third and two, third and one. And if Notre Dame can do that a couple of times, then I think that that's going to be enough for the defense to, you know, like I say, hold Georgia into the 20s. And if you can score a high 20 number, then you can win the game. And Georgia can still have won the yard war or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I that that makes sense to me. You know, I, I can understand that. I think what I worry about is I, I'm i afraid their biggest strength, which is their running backs and their offensive line, could be matching up against one of our weak points, which to me is probably interior defensive line. And then those young linebackers taking bad run fits. You do that against Swift, he's going to the house. Like you, and and I've just seen enough of that that it's in my mind that if you're taking those bad run fits against these two teams, and then you allow that here, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, you know, if you can hold them to those, you know, give up those yards between the 20s and make them kick field goals, obviously you could hang that way. Uh, I just worry they're just going to try and line up and run the ball till it doesn't work anymore. And if we can't stop it, they're just going to do it all night. Um, well, I think well. I think Notre Dame's plan, I am totally fine doing whatever you got to do to sell out and stop the run at all costs. And... If that may, means that Fromm beats you with his arm, I will congratulate him. Congratulations, you you did it. But I'd rather go down that way than getting it pounded down our throat right up the middle all night. Make him beat us with his arm and then tip your cap. But Notre Dame needs to sell out, stop the run at all costs, in my opinion. So this isn't going to be a perfect comparison. But if you think back to 2017 when Notre Dame and Georgia played, you know, Notre Dame was the team that was, you know, trying to run it down your throat and, you know, and and score that way, right? I mean, but they weren't really able to do – and now they played against a Georgia defense that was, like, darn near an NFL defense, to be honest with you. But, like, if you think about the identity of that Notre Dame football team, like, they were trying to run it down your throat, and that's exactly what Georgia did to beat Notre Dame in South Bend was they made enough defensive plays. They weren't great defensively, but they made enough defensive plays. I was at that Notre Dame-Georgia game – and I said early on in that game, like, Notre Dame's got to score a freaking touchdown, another freaking touchdown at some point. If Notre Dame doesn't score another touchdown, they're not winning the game. They're not winning this game 22 to something, right? And so, and that's exactly what happened. Well, I think that's the exact mentality that Notre Dame has to, you know, kind of, because Notre Dame moved the ball reasonably well against against Georgia. I mean, you don't score, you know, a touchdown plus four field goals five times again with against Georgia without moving the ball well. I just think that it, like the those rules are going to have to be reversed. Notre Dame is just going to have to be like, you know what, we're going to sit back in a pretty conservative defense. Uh, you can, you know, if you want to get it four or five yards, you know, if you're going to score, it's going to be a you know thirteen play drive or that. T- you know, now if you start giving up the the chunk plays, that's where things get. Uh, real dicey and well that's my that's my fear is i i just i'm just picturing swift making a move and everybody's in the wrong spot and he's gashing you for 50 yard chunks that's how this ball game snowballs out of control early to me um i i just that's my biggest fear yeah and 
I agree with that, but I also will say just briefly, just to kind of wrap this conversation, because I think we're getting to the end of this talking point, I guess I should say. Um, I mean, I understand that Tavon Coney and Drew Tranquil aren't there anymore, uh, but Travis Etienne's one of the best, uh, you know, running backs in the country, and I don't think Notre Dame's, you know, talent drop off is that great defensively from the team last year. Now, the experience has a lot to do with it, but I also think, you know, You've also got a more experienced Alohi Gilman and Jalen Elliott behind that you can do some things with the safeties, put another safety in the box, and still stop the run. And I just don't think Jake Fromm's going to be able – I mean, the way Clemson blew that game open against us was that you know they were throwing a two five-star receivers on the outside that we couldn't cover. Georgia doesn't have receivers like that. I mean, the top five receivers that they had last year are gone. So I think when Notre Dame sells out against the run, I think they have enough of a chance to be effective – that you know they're going to make some of those receivers that Georgia. I mean, ask Georgia fans. They're, I mean, I I think they're a little bit worried about the receivers. Um, I, they might not be worried because they might think they don't have to use them. But um, I just they don't have the same type of guys that like a Clemson did when they broke the game open against us in the Cotton Bowl. So I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm wearing my optimist glasses here. Uh, I well, understand it's it's, it's see, not always as simple, but that's that's where you and I differ. Like, and and it's fine. You you tend to be glass half full, and I tend to get my mind around the worst case scenarios, and then hope to be pleasantly surprised. You know, like yeah. I've just been burned so much that that's my default emotional hedge is to work from the worst case scenario of what I think is possible, and then anything I see better than that's at least better than what I planned for. And, and so I, I might be overreacting. It's Anything can happen. It's not like this game's over before it starts. Why bother going down there? I'm not saying that. Don't tell but ESPN that. Yeah, well, but there's no, there's no, don't get me started on BSPN, college I, lame day. Honestly, and all, I was trying to get you started by no, saying that. No, don't even, don't, we don't even, we don't have enough time or bandwidth for that. Um, and so. It's it. The game's not over before it's college football. Anything can happen. Uh, but there's no doubt when you look at these rosters, they have a depth and, and high end talent advantage. There's no doubt. Um, and and if some of these matchups turned out to be more even than what I think and closer to what you say, this could certainly be a game. I just have to see it before I believe it because I'm I've yet to see it. Well, that, that's, that's my position. And here's another point that I made, and I'll try to keep this one brief because I think we want to get on to talking about some other stuff. But, I mean, like, the, here's the – college football is so fickle. Like, college football teams are so fickle because, like, Maryland put up 63 stinking points against Syracuse. And people are like, oh, my gosh, if Maryland puts up 63 against Syracuse, like, what the heck is Clemson going to do? They're going to go for 100. And then Clemson puts up 17 in the first half at 17 to 6 at halftime. And people, and like, I thought it was a relatively close 17 to 6. I don't know if you caught that game or not. And then in the same day, Maryland puts up 17 against freaking Temple. So it's like, I don't know. Like, to me, the reason I don't get specifically, like, real neurotic about things, it's just like, you know, I think the potential is there. I'm not necessarily going to worry about it because I just, I, I, I don't think that past games has a whole lot of bearing on the present now I say that and I also will give the caveat that like I wouldn't exactly want Ian Book to be riding the worst slump of his life coming into a game against Georgia that's not what I'm saying either but I just think that like I don't know when you try to compare 
it's difficult because there's just so much. I mean, that's why you play the game, obviously. And I'm not saying that you say that games are played on paper. I'm not accusing you of anything, but I'm just saying, like, I don't know. Like, it just it sort of seems like so many people try to, like, look at, well, a team did this against this opponent. Well, that just means that they're going to be able to translate it exactly the same way. There are different coaching staffs and different ideas, and there are nine dudes in that room that Notre Dame pays a lot of money to try to take away the things that Georgia does best. And so, and I think those nine dudes are better than the nine dudes at, you know, some of these other schools that Georgia play at Vanderbilt. Let's put it that way. If they, you know, so I don't know. I, I just think that like, there's a chance. I, I'm not saying it's all going to come together. I'm not saying that, that Georgia doesn't also have good coaches that when they see Notre Dame, what Notre Dame tries to do, they're not going to be able to just quickly adjust and then just start gashing Notre Dame. I mean, there's that a very real possibility that that happens, but you know, I, it's a hope and a prayer, but I, I think that it's, uh, you know, if I'm betting this game, I don't think Notre Dame loses by more than, you know, seven or eight. So I'm taking Notre Dame because they're like 14 point dogs at this point. I, I, that's a, it's a reasonable position. It is, um, you know, we're but, agreeing way too much. I don't like it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but like when you're saying that, I'm thinking of you that you opened with. Oh, we seem to be at this ceiling where we can't get by those elite teams. I mean, there is a history there, yeah. You know that that is factual, and uh, it, it's just you got to overcome it, or it's gonna that's gonna be the the fallback position until you prove something otherwise. And that's why this is such a terrific opportunity. I mean, it it really is. Everybody's looking at you. You're the game of the week, game day, all that kind of stuff, and. It's a tremendous opportunity. It's um, I would just feel better if I saw certain things in the first two games to make me personally feel more comfortable. But that's not to say they can't rise to their competition like they always say Notre Dame plays up or down. Well, I hope so. Let's play up. That's possible. I don't know how likely it is, but it's certainly possible. Yeah, yeah. I, I just... Gosh, I, I mean, Notre Dame's pass defense has been really good, and I just think, you know, sell out against the run, make those receivers and Jake Fromm make plays over the top, and just see what happens. And then, like I say, hope the offense comes together because, like I say, I mean, I just feel way more apprehensive about the offense. And I don't know, I don't know. I just part of me just wishes Brian Kelly was still calling the plays, but maybe that's a that's a topic for another day. Yeah, that's a whole different topic. So, Ben, you want to do my ten my ten list? Yes, let's let's go for it. All right. So here's what I did, and some of these are lame. Okay, like I'm not breaking any new ground here. Okay, but I was just sitting there, and I just thought it would be fun to just write down ten things that came to my mind. Notre Dame has to do to stay in this game. I'm not even saying win it, but just to be competitive to the point where it's a ball game. Okay, and. So I came up with just 10 of them. They're not in any order other than what came into my screwed up brain, and that's how I wrote them down, okay? So I, I'm just going to name these and tell me if they would be on your list or if you, if you, what your thought is on it or if you would have it on your list or if you have different things. Okay. The first thing I have is a fast start. I do not think Notre Dame can afford to get off to a slow start and be down 17-3 after a quarter or something like that. I think it's imperative with the crowd and everything else 
you got to get off to a good start. I just think that's key. You cannot go three and out the whole first quarter. Yeah, I, I don't think you can get away with that this week. Do you agree with that? I would tend to agree. I think that, uh, you know, it sort of depends on which side of the ball you're kind of talking, if that kind of makes sense. I mean, you could get off, theoretically, I think, to a slow-ish start on offense if the defense is, you know, going to force two or three field goals in in the first three or four possessions of the game. Um, Now, I mean, I think, and I think we're mostly in agreement on this, you can't get down multiple touchdowns like you said uh and expect to uh mount a comeback against the team as good as georgia i just don't yeah I, I tend to agree with that next uh i mean i think since this is the most deep and talented team that we played this year i believe there's little to no margin for error so i think you got to have no turnovers and you got to get one or two to be in this game that's just my thought I don't know that I would agree with no turnovers. Um, I think you maybe need to win the turnover battle. So maybe you throw a pick or something. And I mean, it, it all um, turnovers are n- not every turnover is made equal. So I mean, if you're if it's third and fifteen and you're at the Georgia forty-five yard line and you throw a deep pass down the middle and they intercept it at the seven, I mean that's not necessarily a bad turnover. So I mean it really I guess depends. I mean I'm nitpicking here to try to sort of disagree, to be honest with you. But I think the most entertaining college football games among big big uh, in big time prime time light type stuff, you know, you see major momentum swings all the time. And I think, you know, to me, I want this game to be a crazy game because I think that favors Notre Dame. If it's a real cut and dry type of a game, then uh, you know I, I think Georgia's going to win. Um, so you know, I'm not, I'm not all right. Uh, I'm not opposed to taking a couple chances, and maybe that means throwing a throwing a pick. I, I don't know, but it just sort of depends on time and situation. That's fair. Uh, I have no sloppiness on here, uh, and I mean that in terms of dumb stupid penalties giving up yardage for that and along with sloppiness i mean bad tackling arm tackles that kind of thing i again i don't think we have any margin for error and i just don't think you can afford some of those things we've seen the first two weeks yeah and it's sort of tack on to that and here we are agreeing about all this stuff again but like how'd you feel about notre dame's uh special teams on saturday they're on the list don't jump my list oh geez okay sorry my bad my bad (laughs) Well, I know that sloppy special teams is something that really gets under your skin. So that's why I was – when you said sloppiness – Zero I, I, tolerance. Zero. None. But, but well, I can wait to talk about special teams until you bring it up. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, you're going to have to tackle well. I think the the good news is that, you know, you're going to get Georgia between the tackles a lot. So it's not – like Georgia's not the type of team that necessarily wants to throw it outside and get these playmakers in space. They just want to hit you in the mouth and run you over. And honestly, I think Notre Dame is more equipped to stand up to that than they are to like, you know, a, a Clemson where they're going to throw the ball all over the field. So, you know, there's my optimist spin on that one. I, I, I could, I, that's fair. I could see, I understand that point. Uh, but okay, fine. We'll do special teams. Okay. Like the one thing is I'm not even sure that field goal went through. That's number one. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. am not. I swear to God, it didn't matter because of the game it was. I am not sure that kick went through. I'm just not. Yeah. I'm just I, not. Like, it's, it counted, and I get it. And if I was 
teeing off the golf course. I love that draw, but uh, that was a little too close for me. But special teams, you just can't afford any mistakes. Yeah. None. Yeah. None. Yeah. That kicks out of bounds. That's stupid coverages. That's missed field goal. None of it. You can't do any of it. You have no margin for error, in my opinion. Yeah. I'd have to go back and look at the, the rule book, but I think if any part, that ball went over top of the goal post, right, if I remember correctly? It, it was close. And I think if, like, literally if they think that any part of the ball, like, basically is in the plane of the goal post, it counts as in. But I could be wrong. So yeah, and, and the reality is it counted, and it builds his confidence, so whatever. But yeah. I was sitting there going, I, I, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> right, you know? right. I agree uh, with you. But, it's, again, a lot of these are just the, – the lack of margin for error is behind a lot of these things where I think you just have to be ultra sharp. Um, and then similar with the missed tackles, and that's – I just put limit the gash plays. Meaning, you know, making it an eight-yard run instead of 35 by taking the right angle, being in the right lane. Um, and we saw some of that early against Louisville and, you know, whatever. Uh, you gotta lit, you're never going to totally shut down this kind of running attack, but you can't give up those gashes to Swift or any of them other guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's high, high on my list. Like, that's priority number one. Um, and, and, you know, like... If that's priority number one, I'll say one B is adjust. Okay, like don't. I mean, I think that. I mean, Jeremiah Wusikormo. I don't. They made a point of this even on the NBC broadcast, I believe, um, or maybe it was somebody on Twitter. I don't know, but you know, if you remember against New Mexico, like they hit on a couple of bubble screens on like their first two possessions, and both of them went for like fifteen yards. Um, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, oh my gosh, like come on, and like. It was a bad angle, just a terrible bad angle by him both times. They tried to run it in the third quarter going in for a touchdown, and he just absolutely blew the play up because he took the right angle. And so, again, you know, I I look for things to be optimistic about. That made me optimistic for sure. And so, you know, but the adjustment would have been nice if it would have come quicker. Like, only mess it up once, please. Like, I'm not even – like, there's a small margin for error in my mind. Mess it up once, but don't mess it up a second dang time. Um, that's how you lose against Georgia's. You don't adjust and you don't make the smart plays. Uh, you can't be caught off guard too many times. I'm not saying you have to play a perfect game, but like adjust and adjust quickly. That's fair. Uh, the next one's really straightforward. I, Ian Book has to be sharp all night for Notre Dame to stay in this game. Yeah, and you know I'll I'll, I'll disagree a little because I think you know I, I think. He's got to be sharp most of the time. I, I do think he's going to need at some point somebody to pick him up. Um, uh, he can't try to do it on his own because I think that's he's tried to do that before and it's been bad. You're it's, jumping my list again. Ah, oh, sweet nibblets. Um, Damn it. <laughs> go on. Okay, fine. If we're going to go down that path and you're going to jump my list, I just put some some variation of a star needs to emerge i think on each side of the ball somebody just even for that night to to really make some spark plays that change momentum or you know just a big clay pool catches a long one runs all the way you know uh, a defensive something like that i i just think you need some extra special performances somewhere uh to add to this yeah yeah, and I don't care who it is. I mean, it can be your boy, Braden Lindsey. Um, Lawrence Keyes is kind of the guy that I like better out of those two, although I think they have sort of similar type of games. Um, 
I don't know. I somebody like one of those guys, Lawrence Keyes, Braden Lindsey, Tommy Tremble have to make a big play. I think it can't just all be the guys that we write about all the time. So, you know, I agree. Uh, and not, I like that you mentioned my Braden Lindsay. I know it's crazy of me that I suggested to let the fastest kid on your team make a play. I know that's crazy. I know. What am I thinking? Uh, I have, what else do I have on here? Well, you might have to put well, Phil Dracovic in to throw it to him. That's part of the problem. Yeah. Well, that's another, yeah. Well, Ian, Ian Book is good at what he's good at, but he's never going to have that arm. We just have to build around it, you know. Um, the other thing I have, we already touched on it, is you have to have some semblance of a respectable running game for any of this other stuff to open up. Yeah, yeah. I I would be aiming for. I mean, you don't. I mean, you're not going to run for 200 against Georgia, but I'd be do aiming think, for. Hey, do you think we could get over the 52 yards we ran it for in 17 against them? Was that the number? Holy it Moses! It was like 52 yards. Um. Yeah, and I, I have to imagine that factored in quite a few sacks, if I remember correctly. Um, fifty-two yards. Fifty-two is bad. Like you got to get to you got to get to the like hundred fifteen. Even well, if means... I don't think that the, the Georgia defense is not. Uh, that's one area where they don't have exactly what they had in that front seven with Rokon Smith, and that, it, that's a different. Yeah. It, I don't think this defense is is at that level yet. They have a lot of young talent, but they're not quite established yet is my opinion yeah i have nightmares about lorenzo carter who was that guy that was always coming off the edge and he's the one who hit brandon wimbush on that last i was in that corner you know watching brandon wimbush's backside on that play where he fumbled at the end of the game and the and i can't duplicate the noise that i made but it was like it was like a dying dog yelping type of a situation like it was bad and the georgia fan that was right next to me was uh Uh, i I will say I will say this, um, being in Chicago Bears territory, watching Roquan Smith uh, mature with the Bears has been so much fun. The kid is going to be amazing. His sideline-to-sideline speed is out of this world, and he's going to be a superstar. Yeah, Jalen Smith. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I think he's he's Jalen Smith. I think he's about the same player. Yeah, it's it's really fun to watch. Um, moving on, I have, and this is just really simple, but when I look at these matchups, and I think the personnel favors them in most matchups when you look at this game, I just put, quite frankly, to win a big game when they have more talent that's on the road, catch a few breaks. Yeah. Whether it's, whether it's a tip pass that bounces off somebody or, you know, anything goofy that could change momentum, uh, when you're an underdog on the road against a team with more talent, and that's not arguable to me, I think you just got to catch a couple breaks somehow. Yeah. I, I, you certainly can't have the type of crap that happens to Notre Dame in the, in the Cotton Bowl. I mean, I've referenced that game so many dang times. Probably people have PTSD just listening to me talk. But, like, you can't have, like, fumbles overturned and, you know, uh, did the ball go out of bounds and all that bull um, that type of stuff has to go has to go Notre Dame's way. That's for sure. Yeah, and then uh, this is the we already breezed through this quicker than I thought. The last thing I have here is again my thought process is that there's really little to no margin for error, and I have on my list, and I have all the way through the summer stealing a score somewhere. And now that could be many things. That could be. 
a kick situation, a block, a return, a pick six with my boy Hamilton. Uh, it could be that it's a fake punt and the kid throws it. Like it, I just feel like with no margin for error, you might have to steal a score. And you could put that in the get a lucky break category. But somehow I think we're going to have to find a way to steal a score somewhere in this game. Yeah, and I mean, if if you think of you know the recipe for an upset, and I think you and I are in agreement that if Notre Dame wins, it's going to be a, I mean, a fairly formidable upset. Um, the the format for an upset is you know a team makes a couple mistakes, and you know the the underdog team capitalizes on those mistakes. So I think that's uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, uh, you're going to have to force a turnover or two, I think, um, and you know. You Georgia can't play a perfectly clean game and and probably lose this game. You know what I mean? Like Notre Dame and Notre Dame's got to force that. Like I don't think that Georgia's going to necessarily. I mean, they might have one dumb turnover, but like they're not gonna. They're not the type of team that's going to repeatedly shoot themselves in the foot. You're going to have to go out and you're going to have to make plays on defense. Um, so I, you know, and I think I could even add into what you were saying. Like I think part of maybe even like stealing a score is you know, a goal line type stand or, you know, they get in, I mean, they, they have a lot of momentum. They drive to the seven yard line and then you stop them. I, I think yeah, that, that, would, oh, that that's, would qualify. That's stealing a score. Yeah. So I, I could agree with that. Yeah. yeah. There's going to be, um, have to have stuff like that happen to win the game. No doubt. So, so that was my list. Is there anything that you would like? It seems like we agree on that. I mean, they're pretty reasonable things. Okay. Like yeah. I, I didn't push anything goofy, but is there anything that you would have had on a list that I didn't think of? I just, I, I mean, you, you basically said this, but I'll just put my own spin on it. Like, you, you talked about having a formidable run game. Like, to me, Notre Dame is going to be good if they're balanced. Uh, and I've been saying that since I don't know when. I mean, so, and what that means to me is, like, yeah, if I'm able to sit here in my living room in flipping Zanesville, Ohio, and... You know, I don't have any sky cam, um, but if I can see, <laughs> if I can see, don't safe, get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> if I can see, you want to bring up Doug Flutie too? What oh, are you God. trying to? Why are you trying to trigger me? <laughs> uh, what are you trying to do? I might say something about that here in a second, but I'm going to finish this thought real quick. Um, like if I can see safeties going in the box. And I can say to myself beforehand, if they run it, there's a 0% chance it's going to work. And then they still freaking run it. I'm going to be mad. That's what really gets me. That's what really gets – like I'm not even – I'm a basketball guy, John. Like, And I can just basically – I can just look at the TV. I'm like – I've watched enough Notre Dame football over the years and like tried to predict. I honestly think I can sort of predict run or pass probably 80% of the time to be honest with you. Uh and so, like, if I think, oh, my gosh, they're running the ball. Oh, there goes the safety into the box. If they run this, it's going to be bad. And then they just run it into a negative two-yard play. Then I, that's what's going to make me lose my mind. So Yeah. You know, you, know what I would, you know what I'd like to see off of that? Like, I'm picturing those third-inch shorts where they're in the shotgun, and you know the back's going to come from the left and run it right into the hash, into 94 players. I would love to see some sort of – everything's going that way and have have book peel out the other way and have somebody who leaked that Tommy Tremble leaking out wide open on that. I, you, it's so predictable that I'm starting to hope it's what you said, that that's what they kind of wanted because 
you got to run something else off that or check out of it or do something. Yeah, I, I really hope that and this would just be great. Like maybe Brian Kelly is just like a great mastermind and he's about to be, and he's just thinking like I want Georgia to think that our tendency is that we're running it on third and one 87% of the time. And then when we go down to Georgia, we're going to flip that script and on third and one we're throwing it 60% of the time or something like that until I, until they back off. All right. Let me ask this. How and I've been really thinking about this today, knowing we were going to do this show, and I'm glad I reminded myself to ask you, how much stuff do you think we're going to see, particularly offensively, where you're going, ah, that's different. I can actually see that we were not trying to show. Like, do you really think that there, there were forward thinking that much, that there's going to be that much that we're going to go, ah, I get it now. Do you really think there's going to be that much material like that? Um, I don't know. I, I will say this. I think in games last year, at the very least, like there was like a play a game that was like kind of like not a trick play, but like a cute little play that had the defense completely fooled in about every game that Notre Dame played. And they always sort of saved it in their back pocket to when they really needed it. Like I was at, where was I at? Um, the Stanford game, all right? You remember where I think Tavon Coney picked off a pass in the fourth quarter. The game was still sort of in the balance, and then they ran that play where Alizé Mack leaked out to the backside. Like, they rolled everybody right, and they threw it back left, and they threw it to Alizé Mack, and he, like, walked into the end zone. Yep, love um, it. Like, there was a play like – there was that play. There was, like, that play that you almost just described against uh, Northwestern where, you know, it looked like they were going to hand it off to Tony Jones Jr. like they did every other play that game. And then, you know, Ian Book is, like the, – the camera is, like, looking at a pile, and Ian Book standing in the end zone. Like, um, I don't know. I think there are you – know, You know what I want to – I think that in a matchup like this, I think some of that misdirection stuff could could actually be a very – useful wrinkle i hope they at least try some of that i think it in the run game and anything else i think that could be a way to maybe find some creases here and gain some confidence i'm i'm all for that well here's the thing though like if you think about what georgia's mentality is for this game like their defense their whole team but their defense is going to be like uh, they're still ticked off that they didn't make the college football playoff last year and Notre Dame did. I mean, they talked a whole lot of noise, all right? And here Notre Dame's coming down, you know, between the hedges, you know. Uh, they still, I, I guarantee you that's their motivating factor is that. So you're you're going, we're going with the user aggressiveness against them type deal. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, by all means, you know, if you have to run a buck sweep and get a negative two to, to set up something completely the other way or something like that, a, a screen where you roll everybody to the right and somebody leaks out to the left, like, use that aggressiveness against them. I, I think that's going to be a very real thing. And if they can do that early, I mean, I think Georgia's going to settle in. That's just the nature of playing sports. But, you know, early on, if you can – I'm not saying that you necessarily have to throw a 40-yard deep ball, but if you can hit on a deep play – a play, a chunk play, I guess I should say, because you use your aggressiveness against them. That's that's something that if you can get things rolling early, um, that's going to give you a chance later on in the game. I think. Um, I don't know. I I I I I tend to 
agree and be pretty confident in game plan type things out of Brian Kelly. Now, I think when things go badly for Notre Dame, it's when they leave the game plan. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I think the game plan I, I, is going to be good. I just hope that they're around, they can stick around long enough to use the things that they need to use, if that sort of makes sense at all. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, I, talking to you, I, 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 I was struggling when I was getting ready for this to see like a realistic path here for us to win. And I, I, you present good points and, and I can, I can see that. I, I just, I just don't know if we're going to be able to do it. You know, the plan sounds good. It's just, it has to happen. And like you said, I'm just worried if things go sideways, they're going to just throw all that out and it's going to be a, mishmash of junk you know yeah and then you're gonna get the brian kelly we gotta coach better afterwards and then that that grinds my gears like i don't know no you need to coach better before something bad happens so it doesn't go bad there it is how about that yeah i i mean and i agree i mean i understand why he says that because he sometimes wants to take the the onus off the players a little bit yeah keep his play it's coach speak to a certain degree but like God, it just goes back to what one of the first things I said in the podcast was at some point you got to punch through the dang ceiling, and I'm still waiting. Hey, they have a golden opportunity here. You could start to change your narrative. You can shut down the SEC. I mean, you, there's a ton of opportunities here, but it's a double-edged sword because if you go out there and lay an egg, then it's all going to pile downhill against you. So it's a tremendous opportunity. I just hope they're ready. I just hope they're ready to be physical. They're not intimidated by the environment. Uh, I know they're practicing this week and and with noise and all that stuff. So guns and roses. I'm, yeah, I'm hoping the Miami thing is over. You know, going yeah. somewhere, and just being losing before you get off the bus because you're all freaked out. I, I, I hope we're past that. But that's something we didn't even talk about. That I got to make sure they're over because I don't trust it. Yeah, yeah. That's, I don't. That's, Why would you? Why would you? Yeah. How could you? Yeah, it's one thing to go to like Stanford, where you go every other year, and it's there's it, only five people that goes to those games. <laughs> Stanford or USC or, or somewhere that you're familiar with. It's another thing to go to a place you've never been before with. No, and you can't compare the interest in football out on the West Coast to right. what we're going into. Absolutely. You know, People rip the SEC and this and that. Now that the one thing I will credit them for is football is religion to these people, and I love it. I totally respect it. I dig it, and I love, love, love how football is everything down there. I love it. I agree. I agree. Well, is there anything we missed? I we covered a lot of ground. We covered all my notes. I. Uh, I, I can't think of anything. I just hope we're ready. And and if it's been, here's the thing. Like, obviously, we want to win every game. John's going to freak out on the next show if we don't. No matter what and who it's against, that's just what's going to happen. <laughs> if Notre Dame comes out, plays a really competitive, good game, shows well, hangs in there till the end, and falls short, I think most people could realistically handle that. Um, it's just you can't lay an egg. Yep. Yep. So 
if I'm hearing you right, like if Notre Dame loses this game by one, what's your uh, what's your reaction going to be on uh, either yours or maybe this crossover podcast well, next week? I mean, obviously, I'm going to be upset no matter what when Notre Dame loses. Like sure. that's just how it should be, Ben. Like right. you 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 gotta. That's that's it. So you're going to be upset, but at least I think then you will be able to see. Where it's a good barometer where the pro you're playing a top three roster in college football. It's probably Alabama, Clemson, and them, and then probably Ohio State after, in my opinion. But you will at least be able to say we're in the ballpark. Yeah. Okay, we can compete. And yeah, I'm going to freak out and be mad if we lose, especially if it's another heartbreaker and you come close. But at least as a solace, you will be able to see. We do measure up. You're not going to get ridiculed and ripped and thrown in the garbage like you would if it's 30 to 3 again. So at least you're going to have that. And the other thing that I think is important too is you you just it's it's one of those things where I I just think we need to see that we can play with one of these teams. We just do, and we haven't seen it. I know you don't want to go back, but every time we're in one of these matchups, it's lopsided. We got to see that that gap's being closed. I agree. I, I you know, I, I really don't have anything to add. Like, like I say, I, I sound like probably a broken record that it, it's time to punch through the ceiling. I, I do, you know, and I do mean that. Like, I just even if we lose this one, obviously, like you said, I'm gonna be mad about any Notre Dame loss and I'm going to be pretty melancholy at the very least afterwards. That's, that's 10. That's how I tend to react to losses is not like rage, but just like, why do I even, why, why do I even care? <laughs> like, I don't know. But regardless, I, I think that the fall this time just isn't going to be as great as, you know, I mean, we're already a top 10 team that I think is a legitimate top 10 team. When you compare them to other teams that, you know, people think are good, um, after a pretty big punch in the mouth, you know, that frankly wasn't that long, I mean, nine months, but I mean, still. Um, so I, I don't know. I just think that they won't fall as far backwards just because they recruited well and they've done those types of things. I just don't see the wheels falling off this one. Although, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I get that. And here's, this is going to be a major, major indictment of the last 25 to 30 years in Notre Dame football. But this is real legitimately where I'm, I'm at it. Let's say that we lose this ball game. Okay. At least we're to the point now where Notre Dame losing a game is a big deal. Yeah. And I think that's important, Ben, because there were some years there where it's like, Oh, Notre Dame lost again. And even our own people inside our circle would just kind of shrug it off. Oh, Notre Dame lost again. The hell with that. It needs to be a big deal when we lose any game and at least that's an indicator that the bar, like you said, that bar of expectation and is being raised to where any game we lose now is a big deal. And that's pathetic when you're reflecting on the past. But at least there's some level of expectation now that Notre Dame losing is a big damn problem and a big deal. The last thing I think I really have to say is that like, outside of maybe Clemson and Alabama – and then, you know, you can maybe throw Georgia LSU into there, sort of. Um, but there aren't a whole lot of other programs that, like, I would feel better about than Notre Dame's at the moment. I mean, 
uh, throw Ohio State in there. They're in there for sure. But I mean, like, you know, outside of those five or six, you know, I think Notre Dame is as perennial as, I mean, they're close to some of those bottom type teams that I just mentioned. And, you know, I, you know, I just think that this Notre Dame program is going to be a team where it's going to be a program where like, you know, 10 is the, is a, is a, the acceptable nine's a bad year. And then, you know, every once in a while, hopefully things come together and you compete for a championship. The hope, however, is that when they come together, like that's supposed to every maybe two, three years, whatever it ends up being that you capitalize. And so I'm waiting for the capitalization. And that's just, yeah, that's, just I, what I that's want. fair. That's fair. And some of my, I'm usually not as optimistic as you, but some of this is a look towards the future. Those next two recruiting classes are so far a step up in overall well-roundedness of higher caliber players, and that is encouraging. But don't mistake, that also is going to relate to how we play in this game. That's a part of it, too. These kids are watching. And so it it all builds in together. So you got to have a good showing here. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think uh, uh, this is probably the longest I've ever podcasted in one sitting about Notre Dame. Um, we're up to like an hour and 20 or so now. So that's, that's pretty <laughs> Are impressive. we really? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know. So uh, I feel pretty good about it. I, I Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. I, I had fun. I, I thought it flew flew by. Ben, this is, this is fantastic. If people like it, I'm down to do this as often as we want. It's good for everybody. I love it. Sounds good. So, listeners, if you listened this whole time and you're still here, first of all, kudos to you. If you only listened to a, to a little part of this, you're not listening anymore, so it's almost a moot point of me saying this, but thanks for that as well. Uh, let us know what you thought about this one. Uh, hopefully we can uh, you know, do this again. Probably it won't be an hour and 20 minutes every time because you just, frankly, don't play Georgia every week. But then again, when can you ever run out of Notre Dame football topics? So uh, I, I don't know. Um, do you have anything to add as, as the sign-off? Not really. We covered it, man. I could, I mean, we, we could do this as often as we want. I love it. All right. Well, listeners, thanks for listening. Make sure you're checking out both the Under the Dome podcast and the Always Irish podcast. If you're a Notre Dame listener, you're smart enough to go and just search those types of things and find it. So I don't need to go into a whole 20-minute spiel about every different platform and that type of thing. Uh, let us know what you think. You can find us on Twitter and all that stuff. And until next time, go Irish.